One, two, one, two. Check, check. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Matt, aka Cut Corners, and um, this is the first live unscripted um, that we've ever done on Twitch. So, uh, welcome to the first live unscripted we've done on Twitch. Um, I'm your host, uh, Kia ora to DJO, all the way out uh, down south. Are you in Australia still, bud? Or in New Zealand? Big shout out to my homies in New Zealand. Um, Serato is a New Zealand based company. I'm broadcasting live from Vancouver. Um, in Canada and today um, on the first live unscripted if you've um, never watched our unscripted it's an interview conversation with uh, a guest and um, yeah today we have a very special guest from Oakland California her name is Evangeline Elder and I've met uh, Evangeline Ooh. quite a few years ago and I'll bring her on the state onto the into the stream right now live from Oakland California we have Evangeline Elder welcome hi I'm a little blurry, am I good? <laughs> we got the hand claps. <laughs> we got the hand claps. How are, yes. you How are you doing? I am good. Busy, busy, busy. You know, year two of the pandemic. I'm here in this bitch, but I'm good. <laughs> Can you believe it? Two years, year two of the pandemic. That's a statement right there. I can't. I, I think I'm already better. I think I've already improved, to be honest, like time management and everything. But we're going to get into all that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so um, since we've just got you here today, um, it'd be really great if we could get like a quick background introduction. Um, I've, I've already mentioned that you're from Oakland, but um, could, you, could you just tell us a little bit about your, yourself, um, specifically, you know, how, you're, how, how we came to meet perhaps about um, and your role at, at Empire? Yeah, so my name is Evangeline. I go by Vange usually. Um, born and raised Oakland. I've been in the music business for about eight years, and I actually got my start running like a dingy online magazine <laughs> for like super emerging artists. Um, and then I'm the co-founder of Women's Sound Off Festival, which used to go by Women in Music Festival. Um, and Matt and I actually met from just me doing a cold email and asking, like, can you support this program we have in Oakland for women, uh, female DJs during the festival? And we did a whole DJ workshop with my co-founder, Red Corvette. I believe you, you worked with a few different times before. So uh, Serato was super helpful in, like, supplying all the vinyls and licenses and keys for all the women. Awesome. Big shout out, Red Corvette. Um, she's actually going to be doing a takeover on our sort of Twitch channel in April, I believe. Yes. Yes. And then on the, um, yeah, Carmina's going to go red Corvette. Let me not throw her government out there. <laughs> That's best. <for> it. <laughs> but on the empire side, I've been at empire, which is a independent record label in San Francisco, um, founded by Ghazi, who's also from SF and it is, a massive, massive independent label. Um, there's nothing like it. I feel like we're the first of our kind. I'm really proud to work for such a, a hustle and or such a startup company and music that really sees things that haven't been seen before. Uh, I think it hits different when you work for a company like Empire, which is super, super prolific in the independent space and in the wider music space. So I work in the brand partnerships department. Um, shout out to Mario Davis as well, who is our VP of global partnerships. And I've been at Empire for about two and a half years. I used to be on the DSP team, which is like, you know, I had the Amazon account, title account, a couple other accounts, but partnerships has been like my love, you know? And even for women sound off and a lot of my other endeavors, I have a hundred percent always leaned towards brand partnerships. Uh, and then lastly, I run a boutique agency called All Angles. It's an artist management agency. 
Um, we manage John Doe currently. John Doe is out of Chicago. Uh, and then we've had a few other clients as well. So I have kind of like three things happening. Women Sound Off, Empire, as well as All Angles. That's kind of like a, a I guess a bit of a, a quality of the music industry. You kind of end up having multiple hustles um, and have your hands in different pockets that always kind of seem to com- yeah. complement each other, right? Yeah, but it used to not be that way. You know, it used to be you had to hide your side hustles. Like they're legit on the side hidden. Now it's more like an ecosystem. And I think, you know, before I came to Empire, I had quit my job and went to Brooklyn (laughs) to be a full-time manager for 10 months. And um, when I came back, I just couldn't hide the different parts of myself. I couldn't hide that I'm I'm an artist manager. I couldn't hide that I'm an event coordinator, producer, like visionary in that sense. So Empire really embraced those parts of me and allowed me to be those things while still working at Empire, which most music companies still struggle with, I think. Um, just to run back quickly, you said something about um, DSPs. I just wanted to make sure that everyone in the chat knows what a DSP is. It's uh, is it? Am I correct? It's digital, uh, digital? Yeah, digital service provider. Service provider, yeah. So that's like Tidal, Apple Music, Spotify, BeatSource, et cetera. Um, yeah. So when you work with, with Empire, um, can you explain a little bit about actually how that works? Because I think a lot of people, um, and, and for a long time, I had no idea how that whole relationship worked. Like it's, it's a bit, a bit, quite a bit of a mystery really of like how music gets onto these services and the way Empire probably, and you fit into that. Yeah, well, I mean, with, with the DSP stuff, it's a, it's a tricky conversation always because the DSP space is changing so fast. Spotify, Apple, a lot of them change strategy so fast. So when it comes to like the marketing side of it, it's really about consistency and leaning in. Um, and at, at Empire, our, our market, or excuse me, our digital marketing, you know, overview and a lot of those things are like channel specific strategies, you know, like things that may be a fit for Spotify that should be pitched this way aren't always the same as what Apple needs or what SoundCloud needs or your SoundCloud market isn't the same nearly as what an Amazon music market is, you know? Amazon, you have people growing up with Alexa, you have people growing up with like these Amazon products in their home. Right. So Amazon music itself probably has different strategies that feed into how they like to program artists. So on the editorial side, for sure, and the programming side, for sure, we put a lot of love into our artists, a lot of care into making sure there's visibility and, and really fighting for our artists to have visibility on these platforms. But that isn't everything. You know, like we can get into it a little further later, but you know, DSP stuff is not everything. Like I really suggest that like artists and even DJs, like content is really the name of the game here and having enough content to keep hitting up people with. <laughs> totally. And when you say content, are you are you kind of referring to like using Instagram pieces of content to, to direct traffic to a song or a DSP to get plays, things like that? Well, really, I mean like having consistent output in your music. Uh. You know, I, I think long gone are the days of where you could release an album once every year and a half or two, unless it, like that still kind of occurs now if it's timeless music. But a lot of the time there's so much noise out there to cut through when you're pitching to different DSP partners and streaming platforms that having your content grow in all areas, whether it's your content growing on YouTube, your social media content growing, all of that feeds back into getting an editor's attention, basically. Yeah, that's man. I, that's so that's so true. Hey, like, um, I mean, I'm yeah. even thinking like, there's so few artists that just put out albums. I mean, there's obviously like the Drakes and the Kendrick Lamars or the Rihannas that yeah. are, you know, people are really waiting for a full album from them. But 
I mean, for especially like the DJ, like the DJ people that we're speaking to, and probably a lot of the producers that we t- we're talking to that that you know listen to Serato or or use Serato, are probably people that are making songs or you know hit, wanting to make a hit or something like that. Um, so yeah. so you're saying you know this regular consistent output is is really the key. Is it kind of like a like throwing things at a wall and just seeing what sticks kind of approach or? No, more so like let let the algorithm do what it does. You know, if, if the music is good, it'll float to the surface and editors will literally find it. And then you scoop those contacts up as you go. And when I, when I speak about this, I'm really speaking to people who are bootstrapping their artist careers, who are bootstrapping like their content careers. I'm not speaking to the people who have like hundreds and thousands of dollars in like marketing budgets. Yeah, <laughs> I'm cool. speaking to the people who, are, who look at these streaming platforms and they're like, how the fuck do I get my music on there? You know? <laughs> hey, I'm one of those <laughs> like, people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's for producers too. Like, it's really about momentum. It's really about creating momentum. Um, if you're releasing, I'm a singles person. You know, if you're trying to get Spotify in your corner, if you're trying to get Apple in your corner, and the music is phenomenal. Like, if you're releasing every four to six weeks, you know, a, a single, it's the cover art's good. You're using Spotify Canvas. You know, you're you're you have right. an artist. You're doing swipe ups and links if you have that 10K threshold on Instagram. But either way, you're doing links for Spotify. You're doing links and promo for your Amazon music catalog. Like really kind of leaning into each platform individually and then creating supporting content around each release. Hmm. I I think that the supporting content you create around each release catches someone's attention and draws people back to what the actual original release was. So like I remember Van Jess did like a remix EP, I believe. And no, not many artists are doing remix EPs, but just seeing them draw attention and eyes back to their original album, you know, in 2020 with a whole remix EP that included like house versions of their music and stuff was just nice. And it made me actually go back to their uh, their older album. So content is really important. Like getting creative with content, you know, like it's just really important. And also being on Twitch is helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, honestly, like just talking about like remix culture that, I mean, that that's a whole discussion itself. And if we can just touch on that, I think like Van Jess, um, you know, I know Van Jess primarily because of their work with someone like Kay Trinata, who has yep. basically built his whole career off of, well, I mean, that's, that's way too, too that's selling her, I'm sure. Early career. Pretty, yeah. But he he got the, the the notoriety from like the Janet Jackson remixes and the Missy Elliott remixes, which are incredible on their own, um, right. and and I think that that was um, that that to me is like uh, something that's a really really good point that you bring up about you know a- asking people for remixes. It's something that I think um, I've always done. You know, like I've always asked for um, you know friends that I knew that make beats to do remixes for my projects. And in a lot of ways, would you say that something like that is a great way to you know, um, yeah, reach a DJ kind of area as well? Yeah, it's literally just ridiculous with the amount of opportunity that remixes can allow for this generation of artists. The the older generations understood, I think, that remixes help you draw back attention to the original track, right? The original content. Right. But this generation is still um, figuring out kind of like the purpose of it. And I think that there's a huge, huge market for it. I think remixes, whether you call it a remix or not, you know, or it's just some people are iffy. Some people on DSPs don't even call a song a remix, but they will have a second version of it, you know. But ultimately, I feel like remixing is going to be more important than ever in the next 10 years. 
I think people are going through content so fast that artists are really feeling like they're wasting content sometimes. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of people are struggling right now with how to draw attention to their music after it's already out. You know, and I think people keep putting their eggs in one basket for each release. But instead, if you work with other producers, and as an artist, you can license your music. It's your music, essentially. You know, so you can directly kind of draw attention back to your stuff by commissioning remixes. There's a whole side of the music business, on even on the label side, that is strictly dedicated for commissioning edits and reworks and remixes to draw attention back and paying producers, you know, and paying producers and paying people who do a lot of those flips and stuff to create those viral flips that draw back to the actual original content. Wow. So I think that if you're asking me, should people do more remixes? Should artists, producers, and that DJ unit work more closely together to blow tracks up? I absolutely would say yes. Oh man, that's so so refreshing to hear. Because I, I think sometimes it feels, um, and th maybe this is just my my perspective, but sometimes I I feel like the record industry doesn't care about DJs. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that there is definitely a lot of that, but sometimes it's like, you know, like for example, I have a con a, con a conversation with a lot of my friends and fellow DJs. Um, why we we can't get access to acapellas, you know, like official studio right. acapellas, and how, uh, you know, we just work with whatever scraps are left um, from, yeah. you know, the decades of 12-inch singles or whatever, but how much, you know, we'd love to be able to get access to these acapellas. We're constantly looking for acapellas to remix, you know, and, and put out uh, yeah. edits of. I think DJs need to create more IP. I mm. think with the pandemic having really taking away live events. I, I think the DJ community needs to not step up, but I, I think the DJ community needs to create more entities that can only exist in the DJ community, right? That will make sure that that'll almost ensure that labels and artists who want their music to be successful have to almost hit up this, this entity. You know, if, if more DJs built more entities, built more consistent playlisting and built more kind of content hubs or houses, whether it's online or in person, I, I think that that would be a, a better like route, you know, or, or that that might help lead kind of like what the DJ artist and music industry relationship looks like in the future, do you, you think, know. Do you think uh, platforms like SoundCloud are, are the best place for DJs to kind of showcase that? SoundCloud, SoundCloud is investing a lot of money right now into artist tools. They're going, they're going back to their old system really is, you know, being artist creator first. Not even artists, like just creator. Like SoundCloud is heavily, heavily leaning into stuff like that. Um, I think Audio Mac obviously is one that's always going to be having some more flexibility. Um, Audio Mac to me just they they get it, and also Audio Mac from a global and international perspective is one of the leading platforms. So I think a lot of people, once again, who aren't using Audio Mac. Uh, you absolutely have to like lean in at some point from a global level. You can, if, if you're not getting as much perhaps attention on a national level, say you're in the US, right? But your music may resonate with people in France. It may resonate with people in Canada. It may resonate with people in Africa or South Africa, who knows? Like in, in you know, and in, in those different international territories cling to like an audio mech and a YouTube, like as a DJ, you can create and seed content across these different platforms that resonates to those different demographics, you know? I think that's so that's so prolific, uh, like so profound what you just said. And I think YouTube is actually something uh, that a lot of DJs maybe overlook. Um, and I've only personally re recently realized that, you know, YouTube has been the number two search engine in the world, I believe, next to Google. 
um, as a great way for people to discover, you know, your work, whether it's your own songs or remixes of songs, because uh, much like kind of what you're alluding to with like Audio Mac, you know, obviously you can't monetize your your remixes on on uh, YouTube, but, you know, um, numbers don't lie. And also, you know, you don't need to necessarily monetize to get to like draw attention to kind of like what you said, what you can do. Um, and they seem to be yeah. forgiving, I guess, with, uh, you know, a lot of the remixes that I, at least I've put up. Um, yeah. Legally I think speaking. Also, legally speaking, <laughs> allegedly. We're going to have to up ourselves on this one. Good call, Matt. <laughs> um, I will say that as for content creators who are listening to this chat right now, you have to kind of think of like your career, in my opinion, as like a heat map, you know, and you're putting up. Uh, areas of heat in different places on the map until it all kind of comes together. And then people are like, well, how'd you get so lit? How'd you get so popular? And they don't realize you've been putting up points on the board in different areas for so long. So I think for my content creators out there, if you're not getting paid by Audio Mac, like it's still a good platform to add momentum to your map. It's still a good place to generate heat. And I think with a lot of these digital platforms, including Twitch, like it's about generating heat. Mm -hmm. Some some are for money, but a lot of the times you can have just individual platform strategies on how you want to approach each digital platform. Well, and I think I think a lot of people um, <laughs> are are maybe like reluctant to invest so much time into a platform. Um, recently, I I actually had a really good conversation with my friend Big Jacks from Toronto, and he recently started uh, making these little I guess clips uh, of remixes yeah. and blends in a very you know kind of entertaining way on. Uh, TikTok, for example, and he got like really great numbers. Uh, it, seem, it seems like TikTok is a, a huge platform, um, and and one that I, I must be say must say I'm a bit reluctant to invest in because you know I've put all this time into these other ones, and I'm like another one really. I got to juggle all these. But would you say you know like speaking of this heat map, it, do you, you know do you do you suggest people hit all, all of them or just focus on ones that they think are best for them? I would say focus on the ones that you think are best for you, but whatever collection of digital platforms you choose, you still have to have individual strategy for each platform in that collection. TikTok specifically, um, I didn't, I, w I wasn't a fan of TikTok, like, you know, a year and a half back, but it's still here. And it's actually become a really good driver for YouTube and Spotify. Uh, TikTok, absolutely. If, if something spikes on TikTok, you will see the spikes on streaming. So for artists and content creators out there who are kind of playing the numbers game and who want to kind of grow their YouTube and Spotify audiences, TikTok could be a great platform to help that as well. Mainly for music artists, but if you are a DJ who's doing flips, a content creator who's doing like, you know, crazy house versions of a, a, a track that's really popping right now, like, if I was honestly um, a content creator and I, maybe I was using, you know, I, I was uh, doing a rework or a flip, I probably would put it on TikTok and time it with the biggest tracks that were coming out, you know, like j just because there's more eyes on that kind of content. So I think they're on TikTok. If you don't want to go too crazy on dance challenges, I think there is a whole lifestyle side of TikTok for content creators and DJs and producers that doesn't involve doing like, you know, like the crazy dance moves that none of us can do. <laughs> I hate that shit. I'm turning 30 and I just can't. I can't dance. Like, I, but <laughs> there's a lifestyle now on TikTok. You want to cook? If you want to do whatever, like, you can find a space for it on TikTok. But you do, in some element, Matt, have to attach yourself to what is currently happening as well in the culture. Yeah. And, and I think, um, 
would it be safe to say like TikTok is um is kind of like a a younger audience than than others? Funny, like because it's so massive now, like I see fam it's become a family platform in addition to a, a young Gen Z platform. I don't know what the 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 generation below Gen Z is called because <laughs> why do is I it need millennials? To- I don't know. What is it? Millennials? I don't know. Am I am I aging myself? No, you're too back. No, I mean beneath. Like so, it goes millennials. Then it's like below that is Gen Z, and then like who's next? Like I don't know who's next. Yeah. Maybe someone in the comments can tell us. But if not, <laughs> either either way though, um, I think there's a space for everyone and anyone on TikTok. I can say that confidently now that like because of the technology, because of the platform itself, and the editing you can do on the video side too. I know some content creators who are just even using it to create the video and then exporting the video and going on to going on to Instagram. And they're not even driving a TikTok really. They just like the editing features. Oh, okay. So you can kind of do the same thing by Instagram reels too though. So it's a lot of noise out there, y'all. Like it's a lot of noise out there as far as which platforms you want to invest your time and energy into. But I will say that uh, TikTok does grow numbers. It's just a fact. Totally. Um actually there's a question that I have down here that I really wanted to ask you, and I feel like we could probably First of all, actually, I want to play a song um, for us um, specifically related to TikTok and also to, um, here we go, we're going to switch over to Serato here. Um, So I want to play a song specifically that blew up on TikTok and is now associated with um, Empire Records. Can we all hear that? So we got that was cookie. massive track <laughs> right and she's she's on um she is on uh empire records right yeah and we put out the remix with her and tyga uh okay. for this track as well so if you watch the video it's like him driving a massive fire truck it's a great video <laughs> i've seen it it's great and yeah, so so can you just tell me like was that did was that a signee to empire from this uh the tiktok going viral Yes, that was, we started, it was bubbling on TikTok and we signed her um, after we started to see this thing bubbling. And the song to this day is still performing extremely, extremely well it's on the TikTok side and on, on the DSP side. Like, it's just like a really good song. And Cookie just makes really like fucking good music. Like she gets it. She's from Jersey. Like she, you know, like the house music, she's been doing it for a while too. So it's like, you see it blow on TikTok, you know, and, and, and bubble, but it's, probably already been a part of that artist's catalog and sound for a minute True. you know I think, I think that song was maybe a year old yes. really before it, I, 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 we even saw the movement really yeah and you know what's really crazy i just want to take a quick moment to acknowledge that cookie Kawhi. i know she's probably not watching right now but she was on our twitch channel when we did um a she's battle of well not a battle a back-to-back of the of be more versus jersey club legends we had uh tamil and Technics to a um, early on wow. in, in Search World, and she was in the chat, and I was like losing my mind because like I, I really love that genre. Um, well, the genres yeah. of club music. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, and and she's still she's putting out music all the time. She's she I, I follow her on Twitter. She's got a new song out. Is that is that correct? Um, what is her? Yes. Let me see. <laughs> I should have these notes here. Really, it's my bad. Oh no, you're fine. All good. Yeah, shout out Technics and Tamil. Uh, that was it's great. I mean, I've seen Technics. He's been streaming a lot more on Twitch. Um, and you know, to your to your point, Twitch has been such a for me um, on you just being on Twitch and Serato being on Twitch. We've been able to like identify a lot of other DJs that. I think we wouldn't have otherwise, yeah. you know, have seen, um, you know, uh, in clubs, for example. And that actually, if you don't mind, it might, it might if I just um, ask you this question I have here. Um, yeah, do you feel that the live streaming Twitch community has allowed a better space for m not only marginalized artists and communities um, to grow versus, you know, a, a traditional nightclub kind of industry, which, um, if we can be frank, is, is kind of rife with some very old and out-of-date um you know people gatekeeping kind of uh roles for, for you know traditional uh, roles that don't allow certain people into clubs for all sorts of reasons um usually racially or you know for any, for so many reasons um do you think that twitch is good for that yes i'm working with two uh twitch creators right now uh red corvette and dage and dage is ybn corday's dj or just corday's dj because he shortened his name um but he's toured with like G Easy and a lot of different other Bay Area artists. And and Carmina Red Corvette is from San Francisco, and then Doggy is from Oakland. And they've been using Twitch for about three months now, every Tuesday and Thursday. And I'm seeing them play some of the best music I've ever heard from them. Some of the best transitions and blending and mixing. Some of the best selections. Some of the most creative like acapellas over so many different things. Like it's actually insane to see. That I'm, I'm literally watching someone play their true music taste finally. And I'm not sure if anyone can relate to this, but a lot of black DJs in the black community just, when we get booked for stuff, when a lot of, I have so many DJ friends because I'm in that community, it's ridiculous. And when they get booked for stuff, usually the promoter wants them to turn the crowd up. A lot, a lot of hip hop and R&B clubs are really based on the crowd as they should be. Whereas maybe you're at a selection show where it's really based on selection, the brand itself and the music, you know? Yeah. So there's there's different communities on it as far as like how things are absorbed. Um, some people go to parties and some people go to shows, you know. And with the party scene, a lot of DJs, especially in the black community, aren't really able to play their favorite house songs. They're not able to play their favorite uh, random mashups. Like sometimes they are, but a lot of times there's not that a lot. Of, there's not that many spaces for us to do that. So what I've seen from a lot of creators is a lot of DJs, especially black DJs, have been able to show their entire music taste and not be boxed in on Twitch. That has been something that has been incredible to watch, to, to see, you know, someone drop Saba in a set, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's not all about, like, you know, the turn up and all of that. Like, I'm seeing party DJs actually go back to their old DJ ways, which is really playing the music they really like in their spare time in their bedroom during their sets. And that was almost kind of a lost art form for a lot of DJs because you're getting booked for so many parties. Yeah. And, and at some point you want to play this song, you want to play that song, but 
at the same time you want to turn people up and have them dance because you want to get booked again. So right. I think the Twitch integration, just the Twitch space that is being carved out for DJs um, is, is fairly new in my opinion, because you can do a mix, right? And, but you are you going to do a live mix? Like Twitch is the main place for that in my opinion at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, like even from being someone who worked in clubs for a long time, I've even been told like, Oh, don't play this music here or don't do that. Right. And that's, very coded language for we don't want you know this crowd or whatever i get it's, it's really disgusting but um yeah i think that's kind of one of the freedoms of of twitch you know is is that exactly that you know and, uh, and be yourself. That, yeah and and yeah. express yourself as you as you as you see fit yeah and i think people have to get back to booking djs for who the dj is not booking djs for just the instagram name and the following and then expecting them to play top 40. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I just, I, I really want that to change, you know? And I think Twitch has been helpful in allowing DJs to reconnect with really their identity as a music curator. Totally. Um, so speaking of Twitch and being from Oakland, um, I did want to ask about um, the tech sector in Oakland um, and, you know, how how do you feel the tech sector in Oakland is addressing like the displacement of the creative community, uh, creative community via gentrification? And being that Oakland and the Bay Area not only has a huge, hugely impactful DJ uh, um, influence on the whole world, but also just music overall. Um, yeah. I'm sure growing up there, you must have had so much uh, exposure to that. Um, growing up in Oakland, it was just super, super always diverse. You know, we're the home of independent music. You know, we had some of the first, I'd say, independent artists who are, you know, two short E40s selling, you know, CDs at their trunk. Like, we, we've had a lot of, like, independent energy, and that's carried into um, the 2010s, where things kind of get a little tricky is when you have tech moving in. And I think, unfortunately, till this day, the way that the tech sector works in the Bay Area, they still have yet, in my opinion, to lean in to the core creative community. There's still, I'm, I'm never going to lie, I'm a very transparent person when I do interviews and, and talk about, you know, the dynamics here. And I think there's still a lot, a lot of work to be done. I still see conferences for tech coming into town and booking DJs from out of town to come DJ in Oakland instead of just using DJs who are based here. I, I still see a lot of stuff like that. Or I still see, you know, I, I think because even the alternative hip hop and R&B and, and culture scene in Oakland is sometimes, I don't think it's underground. For the record, I, I don't think the culture I exist in is underground. But I think to a lot of tech companies, when they see Oakland, they're going to go for, they're gonna cherry pick like the, the, the brands and the DJs who are the more obvious ones who might be more contemporary. But they're not picking the actual people who are moving the culture. <laughs> but you know, who are moving the culture and who are, who are moving things forward. They're kind of choosing a lot of different creators and shout out to every creator. But I do think tech needs to figure out a long-term plan on how to support Bay Area creatives. If you're going to be here and take up space, you, you need to figure out a long-term plan. It's not just I booked someone for three gigs at Google. It, it needs to be like we're going to have programs that help merge and bridge these gaps between creators who live here and who are from the soil and this big tech boom. And I think that there's it's, it's overdue. Yeah. Would you say there are there any examples of tech doing good things for the creative community though? Like, um, I the one the only one that comes to mind is like Bandcamp, who are both both based in Oakland too. Uh, am I right? Bandcamp 
Yeah, Bandcamp's in Oakland. They have a location on Broadway. Bandcamp has been wonderful. Uh, Bandcamp has come in and they've support the kind of artists who need support. Bandcamp has come in and they've supported not just people who are popping from here, but they've come in and supported um, the creators who might have 2,000 followers on Instagram, who maybe have like one decent feature or no, or no notable features, like they, but are making good music and pushing out content consistently. Bandcamp is definitely like on the underdog side, which has been great to see because Oakland breeds uh, incredible people. And a lot of us are underdogs sometimes when we're first coming up until we're not an underdog. Um, and shout out to all my DJs in the chat, DJ Don Juan and I don't think King Von, bro, Big Von is in here too, but Big Von has been a great force in Oakland, the Bay Area, like a legend at this point. But um, on the tech side, I think Square has been great. Square moved to Oakland and there was a lot of controversy over them moving to Oakland, but they've leaned into the community. Um, they have done their research. Square is currently still doing their research on who to talk to, what needs to happen, and what support do creatives need. Um, YouTube also has been has been great. Um, I would say Twitch has also been great. I'm I don't I'm not sure if they're based in the area, but Allison Toy over there. Yeah, on shout the out Allison. Big up yeah. Allison. We love Allison so much. Yeah, Allison is amazing. Like Allison knows the platform in and out. She knows Twitch like the back of her hand, and she really understands long term success on this platform. You know. Yeah. So I would say those are some of the, the bigger tech companies like. YouTube does have some of their marketing teams in the Bay Area as well. You know, they do have some of their marketing teams here, which helps with artists and creator services for Bay Area specific people. That's awesome. Yeah. So sticking with the Oakland thing that we're on right now, um, what yeah. are, growing up in 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 the Bay and, and specifically Oakland, what are some of your favorite like local artists um, that you grew up with from Oakland? Oh, you know what? I'm gonna say that I grew up with, right? Not grew up on. Either, I'll, yeah, but. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do grew up with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see, Rex Life Raj, one of my favorite, favorite artists. He's from Berkeley. I know his whole camp and team, great, great people. Um, collaborate also, that's been someone who I've been supporting for a long time back. Like we used to, I think I booked him for like his first gig in Oakland, like 2015 or 16. Um, let's see. Mari Taylor, she's 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 young. She's coming up really hard. Um, I love Kamaya as well. Like oh, yeah. I still play Kamaya's first tape over yeah. and over and over. Um, let's see. I probably need to name a few more. Astu, uh, she's an alternative R&B singer. She's great. You have Rihanna J. Rihanna J is also from oh, yeah. Richmond. Great, great R&B. Also, I feel like you would you probably love her music already like she, it makes sense <laughs> for sure a lot of, yeah um let's see who am i missing i want to all black also who's from oakland you know that whole camp and crew play Red association is doing great work um who am i missing those are my favorites right now though those are my favorites i can for sure say if i put them on a playlist i'm listening to it back to back for sure Okay, cool. I got I got a, one song I really want to play for you for someone from maybe not Oakland specifically, but from the Bay Area. Let's okay. pull up. Um, also on Empire Records. Oh, got... Offset Jim, by the way. Offset Jim is that guy. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, we got Pilo walked in. Well, Pilo this is the explicit, explicit version, FYI. 
Pilo is massive talent. Yeah. Um, Pilo, so, and he's part of HBK, right? HBK gang? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's like a early, uh, yeah, you, so hyphy music as well, right? So you were, you must have been around for the whole hyphy movement early. So hyphy movement, I was probably in middle school trying to pretend like I wasn't in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> I was like in seventh or eighth grade. And then my sisters, my older sisters, were going to all the side shows. You know, because I'm from East Oakland, too. They were going to all the side shows. I, I was not allowed to go. <laughs> I would see them coming home late, sneaking in. I'd be really just pissed and, like, really bitter. <laughs> but high school, I probably caught the tail end of the hyphy movement. But once the hyphy movement hit, what happened after was it was almost a rite of passage. Like, every, every kind of individual, every person who was in the culture essentially had to get acquainted with the music. You, you grew up on it. You grew up on Too Short D40, obviously. But you grew up then on Mac Dre. You grew up on all the guys. Like, and then HBK is really that 2010s and on kind of like um, that a, a different sound, but still comes from that same kind of like cut from the same cloth, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's two eras of it really, but the the Pilo has been quite the artist in my opinion because he's been able to transcend every year, you know, over the 2010s period into 2021. Um, I think it's because he's just true to himself. Like when Pilo gets in the studio and probably makes beats, like he is a hundred percent going to make something that he really enjoys that he would want to hear two or three years from now. So yeah, yeah. Bay area people in and people who have come from like the hyphy music era understand what it means to just make a good ass song, like a, a bop. Like they really understand a song that will still hit like five, 10 years from now. Yeah. It's, so. it's insane. Like, like the Pilo, the HBK, a lot of that crew, what I'm always so impressed of is, is how they make such like with such few, so few elements make like the craziest music. It's so simple, but it's so yeah. perfect. Like it's stripped of any of the unnecessary fluff and just straight to the point. Good. Like, I don't know. It's just always hits. You, well, you, can't, you can't, you can't, I don't care if it's the president, like you're going to see Biden bopping his head. If you heard that song, like it's just impossible. Like, it's because of feeling. Feeling is the, the key word here, Matt. Like I, I think a lot of people who come out the Bay area make music with feeling, no matter which bucket it falls in, there is some kind of feeling to it. And, and the beat making is actually a very crucial part to our sound yeah. hands down. So, yeah. And I don't think enough people really talk about the production, the beat making for well, Bay area. It's so funny. So. I had a really good, uh, like a personal chat with a guy from the Bay Area, Trackademics. Um, shout out oh, Trackademics. Um, he said he said to me, um, the influence of the Bay is is so 
it, it, it like the beat making the hyphy movement it, it, it spread so big and like um he said it doesn't get, really get enough of its um of its props because of people like dj snake and dj mustard kind of taking it and make blowing it up but a lot of it came from the bay like they took a lot of influence from the bay i don't think like mustard was like not giving props to that for example but i think certain people have liberally taken it myself included and <laughs> and yeah. tried to re recreate that sound you know you know what it is is it's it's like i think sometimes when people come to and please people in the chat feel free to like chime in too when when people come to Oakland and they do experience a party when it's a non-pandemic and they will go into like maybe 30 minutes of like classic Bay Area iconic music, right? And then the the people who are from Oakland who are who are or who are invested in the Bay Area culture will, you know, if you're on the wall, you're coming out of the woodworks and you're getting ready to dance. <laughs> and like there's like this kind of like universal cheer in the club or at the party or the function where it's like everyone knows what song this is and they know what time it is, you know? And I think some people who don't understand it reject it and they, they look down on it or they get mad at it. Like a lot of people who don't understand something will get mad at it as yeah. a common like human thing, as human <laughs> nature sometimes. So yeah. with the Bay Area, it's like I think the same way you would go to New York and and you would respect uh, Brooklyn drill rap. Shout out to Desi Locaine as well, who's coming up really hard out of the Brooklyn drill scene. Uh, or the same way you go to Chicago and engage with Chicago drill. The, the same way you respect those immediately. Like Bay Area music and hyphy music specifically deserves the exact same respect. Like Amen. if you don't understand it, like try to understand it, try to learn it. So a lot of people get away with borrowing, stealing, or taking certain sounds and elements and embedding them in their music because there's not a larger cultural protection of, of Bay Area music, if that makes sense. And yeah. I think communities in hip hop have to protect one another, you know? And like, I'll say Bay Area and Detroit are two communities that protect one another musically. Um, there is a huge Bay Area to Detroit link and, 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 and relationship. And a lot of the sounds sometimes you hear in Detroit artists like Peasy or a couple of other ones coming up are similar to Bay Area, but it's because those are, that's in tandem with one another. You know, people see it and want to get involved. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, I want to steal it and never come back. You know, like yeah, yeah, I do. I think I don't know about that Detroit Bay Area connection. That's that's news. It's a huge connection. I, I think hopefully over the next few years, people we see more content about it and documentaries about it because the connection to me is quite huge. Yeah, I um well, re recently in the past, and if you um if you're in the chat and you want to, so there should be like a timer basically linking to our older episodes. But I interviewed Wajid about his the Detroit sound specifically, and Wajid had right. wonderful things to say about it. Um. And obviously, such a rich music culture, and and there, and so, so many places like that in in um in the United States. Somebody in the chat I saw True School also mentioned that Little John. There's a Little John and Bay Area connection, and I think um yes, yeah, like he's he's I believe he produced Tell Me When to Go and and some other things for Mac Dre as well. Is that true? I don't think he produced Tell Me When to Go. It was um, I was it Shake That Monkey? I can't. I, he's done a lot. God. I know he's done a, quite a few beats with. Uh, E40 for sure, and oh, too short. Yes, yeah. it was a lot of too short stuff though. Blue, blow the whistle, yeah. I think, was his as well. And shout out, Lil John. Actually, um, yeah. quick segue: Lil John is playing this Friday on the Serato channel for Serato Fest. So if you're a fan nice. of Lil John, um, definitely tune in to the Serato Fest this Friday. Um, but um, yeah, shake that monkey was the biggest one. That's too short, and Lil John and Eastside Boys. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, and 
just moving on though um another question i had for you um and i wanted to I touch on on specifically we, we talked about it a little bit earlier but the women's sound off it's an the organization organization um that you you created with red corvette um yes can you, can you tell me a little bit about the the goals of that project and you know and, and what you're what you're you're trying to achieve with with that um with that project um with women's sound off women's sound off was really a response uh red corvette and i were both coming up in the music business in the bay area around 2013 14 and we didn't feel like there was a space for us um we both had big homies like once again like you know big von like Dage, a lot of different people who were helping us out shout out tim house like a lot of different people in the bay area who have been instrumental in our careers um but as women though we didn't feel like we had a space in in on the music side of things we also were tired of like all of these other festivals and conferences for Bay Area, for, for non-Bay Area people. Like a lot of creative conferences were not in Oakland, you know? Like we were always kind of on our own island. We had to always travel elsewhere to go to a festival. We had to travel elsewhere to go to a conference or some kind of like music convention. So Women's Sound Off, formerly Women in Music Festival, was a way for us to instead bring people to Oakland for music. And we even had men attend. It wasn't exclusive to just women. It was for women, men, non-binary, however you identified. Uh, and we have had actually a lot of different genders on our, across our um, audiences because the talent we brought in was so good. And the strategy behind Women's Sound Off uh, was to merge Bay Area music figures with non-Bay Area music figures to build more bridges so people could get more done. Essentially, like you have to grow your network somehow. So the goal of WSO was really to bring in so-and-so from Instagram. We're bringing in so-and-so head of PR at Visco. We're bringing in artist relations from SoundCloud. We're bringing in um, so-and-so from New York. And then we're putting them on panels with our creatives. We're putting them on panels with Nastia from KQED or so-and-so. Like That was the goal of WSO was to really advocate for Bay Area women and creatives being a part of national conversations and turning Oakland into a national destination for music specifically. That's so helpful. I mean, I think um, this, uh, this has come up a lot uh, in, in other discussions I've had with, with, with people in the music industry and how important mentorship is for people and, and demystifying pro, you know, pros, uh, processes and, and within the music industry. And that's definitely like what I think you're, you know, you're really offering so much. And our conversation today is, is kind of like talking about, you know, what you all of the advice that you've given around you know um you know what you can do with social media and things like that demystifies what and people have these questions but they don't know who to speak to and so what uh yeah. women sound off is, is bringing the, the, that kind of understanding and demystifying and, and giving examples for for local creatives is is so important for for that growth right yeah i'd have a mentor you know i i collected different um qualities I saw across people who were kind of like distant mentors, you know, but I never had anyone who was directly sponsoring me or advising me or mentoring me. Those are, those are three different things. You can have a mentor, an advisor, and a sponsor. A lot of people don't recognize the sponsor word because for POC, that's not necessarily a term that we throw around. No one sponsors us, <laughs> like, you know, but as, as, when you have a sponsor, you have, a, you have really like your advisory squad, right? It's a mentor, an advisor, and a sponsor. Your mentor gives you advice on maybe career transitions and things like that. They mentor you in that field. 
Your sponsor is someone who works directly in that field, who is designated to help you and pull you up into rooms you would not be in normally. Mm. And then you have your advisor, which gives you probably, once again, just really big advice on um, career and life, I would say, basically where personal and business meet, you know, and, and how to navigate those kinds of things and advises you on um, major industry changes, major job transitions as well. So I think for me, I never had a mentor. And I think that's why Women's Sound Off was um, really our brainchild because it shouldn't take someone eight years. I, I'm, I'm just now saying I'm at a good place in my life in the music business after eight years, you know? And we just did some, I did a crazy Amazon music um, stream, one of their highest streams on Twitch about two weeks ago for the Grammys. We had all of our nominees on there for Empire. I was literally under a rock for four weeks. And <laughs> but I'm, I'm just now getting to that point where I'm, I'm really like producing major projects. I don't think it should take that long though. You know, I, I think that if I, it took me eight years, I, I want the next girl to take six years, five years or less. And I think like some part of that is about giving the game away and, and not being scared to give the game away. Like if, you, if, you, if you're in a position to give game, you have a well of game. You have a well of ideas, a well. Like it never ends if you're a true creative. So, you know, the goal of WSO was to really just strengthen the marketplace of, of women creators, black creators, brown creators. Because if, if the marketplace is healthy, like everyone wins. So yeah. that's how I see the business too, is that if the marketplace is healthy, literally everyone wins. If the DJ community is working more closely with the artist community and the labels are empowering DJ communities as well, then it strengthens the entire marketplace of music consumption. Yeah, I mean, there, without a doubt, there is a, a you know a great need of visibility for women as well. Like that's definitely something that you know uh, my role at Serato as ours relations is to identify talent, and you know it's definitely very lopsided. You know, for especially in the DJ and even more so in the producer world. I mean, we've had this conversation offline before about yeah. you know trying to identify women producers and. It seems to come up, yeah. you know. Um, actually, one of the one of the things I've done recently, um, and I think is a really uh, has really helped me actually just to see what's out there is to really make a concerted effort on my social media to follow as many women DJs and producers as I can as I as they come up, so that like at least my algorithm's kind of suggesting the, them to me. It's it's so right. easy for me to fall into my own like gender stereotypes and just you know hang around with the people that are like me. But if I kind of like make a concerted effort to you know, go out of my way to to follow people. It it kind of tells the the, the work is done by Instagram to to suggest other people like those people that I'm following, and and that it actually helps yeah. discover more people. And if you if you meet a woman in music who's a DJ or producer, invite her to the studio. Ha allow her to bring a friend. Like the studio culture, man. Like that's where a lot of business deals are done. All my all these men, you y'all know, like <laughs> so much happens in the studio if if people can see women as human and not just women but you know they would understand that like oh like she has a great ear she should be in this session or you know she's not an a and r but i saw her do these five dsp playlists or you know like, like she that makes sense like just inviting women out to the studio engaging with women more regularly not just in contexts that serve patriarchy you know but engaging in women the way you would engage with men like that's the biggest way to me in the music business for women to get ahead and is to also help to have also men help pull them up additionally into creating their own seat and table and god knows what else but 
Studio. Studio culture ha- is a big part. You won't see much change if you don't see studio culture change. Yeah, I, that I, includes women in business. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, there. go ahead. I definitely, I definitely, I, I, I definitely recognize that it's, it's on. And I think any men that are watching this and are like, oh, how can I help? This is a great example of like, yes, we can help by doing precisely what you said, inviting them to the studio, inviting them to the gig, um, and not like serving, like you said, patriarchy. I think that's a really good point. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's on us kind of to do it, you know, as well. And, and I think um, yeah. as, as men, we, we got to step up and, and make sure we, we take those yeah. steps. Yeah, and I think more, uh, I'll say one more note on this subject. And and Matt, my 4 p.m. got canceled, so I'm good to go. Okay. I really need me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'll say that, you know, a lot of game gets exchanged on in one-on-ones and, and getting coffee. And I, I think even just more men and women uh, getting coffee together to talk marketplace happenings, talk about what's literally simply happening in the music industry, what's happening with NFTs. Like, I, I would tell, like, my male friends, just reach out you know, to women who are creatives and who you know, but maybe you haven't known in any real capacity and just see if they want to, you know, keep each other updated on their projects. Like just things as simple as that are really helpful. You know, we don't really need, need men to like, you know, you know, champion feminism and, and, and hold the flag. We need you to kind of like, you know, actually build with us in real life outside of the moments that are made, but in, in real life conversations, where where real life game and tips are exchanged between both parties. Yeah, I th- yeah, I, th- I think that um, that's such a good point, man. I think like having the friendships, and I mean that goes for so many things in life. If you have friends that don't look like you, or, or friends that aren't the same gender as you, you just get that perspective so much more. And and um, one of the, one of the things I like to talk about, like with my friends that aren't this, exactly like the same race or the same you know gender as me, is that I, I feel like there's a sensitivity there, um, and a, and a level of trust that if I don't understand things that, you know, that from their perspective, I, I feel like I can ask and then I can learn in a comfortable, safe space in a lot of ways where I can ask a question that may be dumb um, and get it wrong. And then they can politely help me through that, you know, because that's, yeah. that, I think that for, uh, it definitely as a white dude, like that's always a fear, right? There's that, that innate fear. Yeah. I don't want to get it wrong, but you kind of got to ask, you kind of got to take that, that first step and, and get, maybe get it wrong, yeah. right? And also disclaimers go a long fucking way. You know what I'm saying? Like just set a disclaimer at the beginning of a conversation. I do that. Listen, that is the reason I'm at where I'm at in the music industry is disclaimers. That's, <laughs> like, that's such a good point. Yeah, like just say at the beginning of the conversation, like, hey, I'm not that I don't really know that much about this. So like excuse me if I misstep or misspeak, like might be you know, just like set those disclaimers that hey, I'm coming to the table to learn, which yeah. means I might not know a lot of the things that I'm getting ready to talk about with you. So yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Disclaimers do go a long way. Yeah, I love a good disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, because it kind of guy, prepares. Yeah, it's hard to be a stickler, but can we go up 5,000 more in this contract? Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Um, well, on that, though, um, one of the other questions I had was, what are some of the, the changes that you'd like to see in the music industry? And these can be just anything. Like, it doesn't have to be yeah. anything specific. Um, I want to see there's two or three things. Uh, That's a really good question. I'll start with DJs. I want to see DJs paid more. Um, I want to see DJs paid more and I want to see their value go up. Um, They know their value, but I want to see the music industry understand their value and create new channels and ways for them to exist and push the culture forward. I don't think a, a DJ should be a mascot, you know, for an artist. I don't think a DJ 
yeah, I just think that there needs to be a reassessment of how we're treating freelancers in the music business, you know, and how we're, how we're treating independent contractors, hands down. Two, I want to see, um, I want to see universities, I want to see promoters, and I want to see establishments change how they pay artists out as an artist manager as well, there's a lot of systems right now in the music business that do not work for independent music artists. Imagine like every dollar you get from a gig or a, a, a show going towards your projects and funding your next music or your, your next music video or funding your studio sessions, but you're on net 30. Like I, I really hate net systems for all creators and freelancers and musicians. Like to me, I wanna see that change. You're probably like that came from left field but that is something that is truly, truly important for me. When you book someone, have the money ready. It's not, it's not the artists or the DJs or the, the, the creators problem that you need to preserve cash flow. It's not, it's not our problem. We also need to preserve and create our own cash flow. And a lot of independent creators need to flip that money the next day sometimes. You know, gotta pay bills within three or four days. So all of these, these net terms need to expire. Could like, you just I, um, quickly explain like net 30, I'm not, I'm not too sure exactly yeah. what that means. So say, say you get booked for a college show, right? Say you're booked for UC Berkeley and you perform the show. Maybe you were booked for like $7,500. They'll be net 45 sometimes or net 30. That is the most frustrating thing for creators. Artists and DJs both experience this uniquely because they're both booked for gigs and kind of in that freelance live show world. And the net terms is basically like when you sign a contract, the, the, um, the promoter or the organizer has up to 30 days to pay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Net 45. Some have these crazy, like, some have these crazy ass, like, portal systems where you have to, um, uh, where you have to really, like, put in 18 different documents just to get paid. And then you they know? Hold and so, taxes and yeah, like, all sorts of stuff. Yes. People make it really complicated for independent contractors and performers to get paid. And I think that we have to stop allowing systems and organizations and universities and pr promoters, to, we have to stop them from it, it being as though they're doing us the favor. Yeah. If, if you can do it, you get up there and DJ. <laughs> like, you know, why are you booking me? <laughs> like, so I, I think even like, um, you know, don't, um, uh, um, also one thing, sync industries and film and TV industries are also notorious for paying six months out later for syncs for artists yeah. and producers. Cause producers are also out here getting synced and creating batches and crates for like, you know, TV shows and films. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's 30 days. Sometimes it's four months. If you're dealing with Facebook, they pay differently than CBS, which pays differently than, um, Viacom. Like, everyone just pays so different and it's all scattered. It's like one big fuck you. Like, I don't care if you're counting on this money. Like, you know, that has to change in order for independent artists and, and creators to even, you know, be more empowered. Imagine how many people in this chat right now could create content, you know, 10 times a week that they could monetize on if they had all their money from gigs and bookings up front to flip immediately. You know, so cash flow in this independent freelance like realm has to change. And it's up for us to really demand that companies get on board. You know, whether it's brand partnerships and those companies who are trying to pay out, like I just really want to see those systems change in the music business because the music business will largely be independent 
in 15 to 20 years, which is why yeah. I think DJs and, and producers are gonna be more important than ever because an independent music market being the majority versus like major labels being the majority empowers every single creator who's in that area. You know, it's a major like, label system does not empower DJs, but a, a independent system does empower all the affiliates of the music industry. And and that's the, it seems to be like the gig economy is growing, you know, with you've, you've seen with, you know, obviously Lyft and Uber, like this whole, that seems to be the way everything's going anyways. And it, 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 like you said, it really needs to change it. Shout out Bandcamp though one time for always paying like the yeah. next day. I love that. I, yeah. <laughs> whenever I get those numbers, I was like, you guys got, uh, that's awesome. I love those guys. Um, but yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. I, yeah. Sorry, sorry Andrew. Um, but yeah. Okay. So th I think that was the, that was three things. That was the three things. Um, oh, third one is just studio culture. I want to see more women in the studio. I want to see more female non-binary engineers. Um, I want to see people really understand that like women have so much to add to the picture. We're intuitive. We are thoughtful. We're meticulous. You know, like especially a lot of black women in the music industry are carrying the music business right now. I kid you not. A lot of my counterparts at other major companies are either women or black women, you know? So like, I, I want people to really give these people their roses and their flowers and their credit, you know, and, and kind of get out of our way. <laughs> like, <laughs> stay out of our way so we can keep doing great stuff. But um, no, we'll, we'll keep doing it regardless. But I just want to see more studio and engineering and engineer friendly spaces that are really embracing uh, women's energy, female energy into the into the picture. Because I've been in some great studio sessions, you know, with a lot of men lately and it's, I have no issues, to be honest. Like I'm very particular on what, what rooms I do enter. So that's probably has something to do with it. But <laughs> sure. I, you know, yeah. I just, I just want to see more inclusive spaces and I want to see people looking at women as uh, necessary to be in the room, crucial to be in the room. Awesome. That's, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that's definitely something that we've got to be conscious of to make change. Um, but yeah. I do feel like, at least in this in the circles I'm I'm surrounding myself in, it seems to be there is that change happening, and there is that recognition that's starting to happen, um, and at, le at least that seed is being planted. But I I totally agree. It's it's something that does need to develop so much further than what it, where it started at right now. Um, but that's great to hear. Did you want to shout out any other any of your counterparts that that uh, that are in the industry that that you feel deserve a little shine right now? Yeah, I'm gonna shout out as many as I can. Um, my good friend Sada Ahmed, who did the dinner party sessions, the dinner party EP, which was Knife Wonder, uh, Kamasi Washington, and Terrace Martin, and Robert Glasper. Wow. They, they, they did two EPs last year. She was my intern for a year, brought her on board to Empire, and she has completely killed all her project management on the marketing side. Those two albums definitely have her all over them. And they're just amazing, amazing albums. Um, so four of the best musicians and instrumentals and producers were able to get onto one album That's <laughs> twice. Incredible. There has to be someone who's the glue behind that. And that is Sada Ahmed. Um, number two, NJ. Uh, NJ is over at Nike. She is a beast. She is doing cultural music partnerships over there. Phenomenal, phenomenal woman. Um, she has her hands on everything that you should have your hands on at Nike. And she understands like where the culture needs to be at. Um, I will say Tierney over at Vans. Tierney Stout, amazing, amazing um, 
woman at Vans who's doing global marketing. That's my counterpart there. She is wonderful to work with. I'll say Uni over at Airbnb. Uni is also a unicorn in her own right. You know, the fresh, the Uni and Neri over at Airbnb. Neri did the Fresh Prince activation where he had his, Will Smith had his house on, the Fresh Prince house on Airbnb that you could rent. Like these are so, I'm talking about these women are really fucking killing shit. Like I, all, these are all women who are doing these things. I kid you not. Like um, on the empire side, Tina Davis, Tina Davis is a legend, 30 years in the game. She literally discovered um, Montel Jordan as an intern. <laughs> like, yeah. So wow. like, yeah, you got Stacy, um, Stacy Ohu, who's our head of strategic uh, events, as well as does programming. She used to be PD over at KML. She has turned Empire into a powerhouse of a brand. If you've ever been to any Empire event, if hopefully you got in because that's really chaotic. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> always for sending those event invites uh, eventually. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Siobhan Charles over at Visco, who is a multi-hyphenate, one of my favorite creators, and she's a flutist. She well, used to be at Instagram, but now she's at Visco. There's Fadia Cater, who recently left Instagram. Badass woman. I look up to her so, so much. Um, there's Heather Lowry, who started Femit Forward under Live Nation, or in, excuse me, in partnership with Live Nation, not under. Uh, Heather Lowry, beast, like, tour, like, in incredible woman. Um, She's single-handedly the reason why I would say there's more women than ever getting booked in, in the music business when it comes to hip-hop, R&B, and a lot of those acts. Um, who else? Moya. Moya over at Fender. Shout-out to Moya, like, who launched their literal, like, hip-hop, R&B, and gospel department for oh, artist relations. She did, the she did the see-through her guitar from the oh. uh, award show that was last year. Yeah, I, to, I feel like I need to pull that up. Uh, I mean, Fender have definitely been killing it lately. I saw they did something with Steve Lacey, and I was like, "Oh, you guys that's, know what's oh, up." Yeah. Yeah. That's my girl. No, I like sh sh insane. Cristela Rodriguez, Cristela manages Saba. Saba is a major independent artist from Chicago. Um, from Chicago, yes. And Saba and my artist John Doe are actually cousins. Oh, so Cristela and I go back from the Bay Area because Cristela used to intern and work with tim house who's like a legend in the bay area for sure so Cristela came up, came up under him um but she i mean saba is a phenomenon to me saba there should be case studies on saba's entire career <laughs> like as an independent artist he is the true independent golden child who took his own money and flipped it back into his tours oh wow you know like like so i just but but there's people who are behind him like Cristela who are making these innovative kind of like, uh, who are making these innovative plays, right? And these are the women that I'm talking about. I just named you like 10. I probably have like 20 more if I were to keep going. Shout out Micah McLinden over at Tequila Heradora and Brown Foreman. Um, yeah, I'm going to cut it there <laughs> before That's I go awesome, into the spiral. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great to hear these people's names and hear about the companies they're working for because they're such cool companies too and the projects that you've, you're telling us about. It's so awesome. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, you know, what is, you know, what's some of the best projects you've got to work with at Empire? What are some of your highlights there? Yeah, I, um, Dolby was one. Dolby is currently, we, we have a partnership with, Empire has a partnership with Dolby right now and Dolby has their new audio tier, Dolby Atmos. 
Um, so I locked that deal in and Empire is the first independent record label to distribute in Dolby Atmos. And we have full Dolby Atmos support from Dolby's team. They're incredible to work with. And for those who are unfamiliar, Dolby Atmos is immersive audio. And the way I explain it is that like surround sound and stereo kind of like you're right, left to right, a little bit around. Uh, Dolby Atmos is up, down. It's like, it's a hug. It hugs you. It wraps wow. around your body, literally. And it's it's bigger than I think 5.1 and 7.1, even though it's compatible with those. But it's currently available on Amazon Music HD. It's available on Tidal Hi-Fi. And we just released the Free Nationals album in Dolby Atmos for their one-year anniversary Grammy nominate, their one-year anniversary for the album and their Grammy nomination. So I worked on that project from start to finish. The Free Nationals literally recorded their fucking project on tape. <laughs> I think you I remember you telling me that. That was crazy. Yes. You can imagine how long it took to get that into every the proper channels in order to even get it remixed and mixed in Dolby Atmos. Okay. I got So we had a billboard, we did a whole Amazon music show with them. That was a big project for me. For I gotta sure. I gotta take a moment here. Just uh, are you doing okay for time? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, let's just do a quick. Let's just jump into one of my favorite songs off the Free Nationals record, um, Shibuya, featuring Sid. So you're saying this recorded on on like uh, big uh, big like reel to reel tape, right? Yes, pretty good. Yep. Oh man, it sounds so good. All of this, if you sample the Amazon Music H2 or Tidal, it'll be the craziest experience listening to this song. You're gonna hear Sid's vocals in the front of your bedroom, you're gonna hear me in the back, you might hear a synth to the left, and it was placed there on purpose. It's object based sound. Oh, it's so good. It's an incredible album, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so that was the Free Nationals. Oops. Yes, yes. With uh, Shibuya. Crazy. So, and Free Nationals yeah. are the same band uh, that, well, they're Anderson Pack's band, right? Yes. Um, yes, yeah. They've done a lot of his early stuff. They're his touring band as well. Right. So, that you probably been, you probably used to them in the element of live music. If you've ever seen Anderson live, you probably have seen Free Nationals. Well, yeah. I mean, that and then Sorry, go ahead. We were listening to that on title, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take advantage of this uh, hi-fi experience for yes, sure. Um, sorry, and then just to carry on, I I think um I was also curious to know about one of the, some of the other stuff that you've you've worked on at Empire. Um, would you yeah. mind elaborating on the 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 one you touched on a little bit earlier, the Grammy performance that you that you were under a rock for four Woo! weeks on? <laughs> that was so I, four weeks with me being generous. I love. <laughs> Amazon team. Oh my God. Let it be known that they, the Amazon music team has been one of my favorite music teams in the business right now because of how fast they work. I have never met a team that could keep up with Empire on how fast they go. Empire is known for being fast. <laughs> like that's, that's what awesome. we're built off of is being the fastest back then distributor, you know? 
Um, now we've been able to merge that same hustle and startup energy with being obviously a, a global label. But um, we had two weeks, Matt, to plan this show. That's crazy. Two weeks. And we're talking Freddie Gibbs, because we put out Freddie Gibbs' Alfredo album with The Alchemist. That was through Empire, even though he is with, I want to say, Warner right now for his next project. Um, D Smoke. We've been, we've been with D Smoke since he came off the Netflix show. D Smoke has been amazing to work with. Shout out Inglewood. Shout out my dad's side of the family. Um, and then Three Nationals. So we had two weeks to produce Six Figure Show for three acts. And I project managed the entire thing. And I think it, it was really, it was one of their highest streaming shows on Twitch. Wow. One of their highest streaming activations in general. And we used Springboard Productions who did Coachella, they did Beyonce stuff. Like they brought the big ass like rig in. Like it was really quality, quality. Um, for those who are probably wondering where that show is, <laughs> it was only a one-time thing on Twitch, oh, but it no. will. No, 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 here's, I actually just lied. I'm cap. It'll appear on YouTube in a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Empire awesome. has the content and the footage and we're just editing down all the sets and getting like pruning some of it and then it'll be on YouTube. But that was um, that was a resume one for sure. That was something that I'm really, really proud of. Um, everyone was sharp and fast. I managed about eight different department, uh, different department communications between our departments and Amazon's department. Um, really an insane experience. And that, you know, what's funny is that I was only able to pull that off because of one, um, an amazing team, right? Amazing coworkers at Empire. Like, uh, you know, shout out to Moody Jones and Peter Caden and Mario Davis, Christina Ramirez, Stacey Cunningham, like the list goes on. Gentry, what, what an amazing, amazing marketing team. I think I bonded with them more than ever through this experience. But also experience of Women's Sound Off. Women's Sound Off, I was used to managing a million things at once. I was, Carmina and I, Rick Corvette and I were a team of two. Yeah. We had volunteers and for the most part, it was a team of two. So like, you know, it, I'm managing, I'm head of artist relations. I'm head of marketing. I'm head of programming and I'm head of fucking partnerships. That's four <laughs> departments. Like that prepared me for the Amazon Music Empire Grammy showcase, hands down. So shout out to like transferable skills, man. And, <laughs> yeah, and just real. like, <laughs> you know, I, I think a lot of, um, some of my creators out there, like, if you're able to do something well, chances are you can apply that to several other things and several other opportunities that you may not be familiar with, but require the same or a similar skill set. Yeah, so. I, mean, I feel like that's also something that's really a big part of being part of the music industry. And and um, yeah, I, my my homie in the in the chat, Mr. Sonny James, and I both work together, um, and we end up doing so many things. Like you said, it's a, it's a combination of doing event production and then artist management and then you know, um, creating content and, you know, you just end up doing all these things, but it's all about, yeah, like you said, transferable skills and being willing to learn on, on the spot if you need to, or being, you know, you know, accepting, Hey, maybe I don't know this, but I'm, I'll, I'll figure it out and I'll, I'll learn or I'll ask the right questions. So, um, yeah. And the goal is to bring something different to the table. No one wants to hire the same person anymore. At least a company that I want to work for. No one wants to hire someone who has the exact experience. I want a unicorn when I, hire for my own stuff i want to hire someone who doesn't have anything to do with what i do to be honest you know someone who's going to bring a fresh perspective because fresh perspectives to me are like valuable more than people think totally um i've got a a very important question we ask 
every guest on the unscripted this question and it's um it's kind of the Serato tagline but it's always such an interesting response we get from this question so the question is uh what does the power of music mean to you the power of music um the power of music to me is really like the power of transportation like to me music is it transports you somewhere else mentally um i think that's why music is timeless as a industry as a field as a literal thing is because besides its healing properties like i, I think it has proven healing properties number one but number two like it, it taps you it, it keeps you more in tune with yourself music makes you i think more self-aware you know, and the kind of music you choose to listen to and ingest on a daily basis, you know, reinforces how you feel about yourself sometimes, you know, subconsciously and consciously. So I think music, the power of it is really that it is, to me, it's water. It, mo it moves everything. It has the ability to really change lives. It can change it slowly or it can change it like when you see your favorite artist for the first time and you change after that. Something is different about you. Like, I think music is really... You know, it, it keeps me in two of my memories. I can think of, mm. I can listen to a song and transport to a different memory. You know, to me, it's just like getting like a time capsule, like, and, and going somewhere else. And I think people don't understand the power and value of being able to do that. Mm. I think we see all the glitz and glam around like different components of, you know, psychology and this and that, all great. But I do think music is a really, really big part of mental health for me personally. Music is a big part of memory keeping and, and maintaining my memories and um, finding outlets for my emotions, like to keep it lit. Like if I'm feeling sad, like I have a playlist for that, you know, because that helps me get in touch with myself. Anything that helps me get in touch with myself is 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 unmatched. You know, it's, it's a tool, essentially. And you can do that at any age. Music helps you connect with yourself at any age. And at this point in America and capitalism, like you know, I need every tool I can get. <laughs> For real, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a really um it's really interesting to hear you say that. And if you don't mind me sharing, um, like I lost my dog earlier this year, um, and mm -hmm. very close sure. to that, I lost a, a a musical collaborator and friend, um, actually from the Bay, uh, rest in peace, uh, K Max, um. Mm -hmm. And I know this year was really really hard on a lot of people, and music really kind of got yeah. us through that. Um, but even through the really, really hard times, it really, um, yeah, it really, it really allowed me to yeah. process that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Recipes to your friend. I've, I've <laughs> lost a friend too. And I, I think music was the main way I got to basically reconnect with her essentially. And music is just so, so timeless that it, it helps you put the words in play when you don't have them, yeah. you know, so I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a really powerful answer, though. You know, like uh, Sonny said in the chat, you know, you don't really get, sometimes you don't really get those answers from it, but that's that's really on point. Uh, yeah, it's literally you. transports you to a memory. It's like time travel. Yeah. To me, music is essentially time travel. Yes. If, if I want to remember a friend or remember a family member or, you know, like I, I can play certain things that'll trigger certain memories and transport me elsewhere, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's the truth. Um, <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on though, um, where can people find you um, to connect with you outside of this interview? Because I mean, you're a fascinating person. You've got so much great things to say. And I think a lot of people may want to like get to know you outside of just this interview. So where would they be best find you? 
Yeah, so there's a few ways to find me. My Instagram is at uh, underscore Vange. That's V-A-N-G. I feel like y'all been putting in the chat, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, my my email, I'm just going to regret this later, but fuck it. My email is <laughs> Evangeline. I have five emails, so this, I can give one up. You know, <laughs> I, It's Evangeline at allanglesagency.com. Uh, I do consulting. I do consulting for music artists, content creators, uh, really like creative career trajectories and like helping you find your path that way. Um, I am on LinkedIn under Evangeline Elder, my full name. I am also have an agency Instagram, which is All Angles Agency. So once again, my email is Evangeline at All Angles Agency. And then my Instagram for my agency is All Angles Agency. Um, you can follow Empire too at Empire on Instagram fully. And yeah, I'm probably the most on Instagram. I do check my um, DMs probably like two or three times a week. But if you email me, I'll probably see it. Don't be afraid to follow up either, for sure. Um, email. Yeah. <laughs> Email's really committed. Like if someone writes you an email, you're like, okay, you're, you're really serious. Wow, there's been some really good emails I've gotten that I actually, I respond to because that was really just like, you deserve some, like an award. <laughs> like, <laughs> people, for sure. Like, I, I think one, one secret is that almost every music executive opens their every email, just about. Yeah. Like the only thing we don't open is like the calendar invite accept. Like when someone accepts a calendar invite, you just archive that. But like <laughs> I most people do open their inboxes, so make it good. We may not respond. It may not be it might be ten seconds, that's your window to really say what you gotta say, but like a lot of people are receptive, I would say more than ever right now, after the pandemic, to working with new people and giving more collaborators a shot. So That's awesome. It's really rare that people would give up the email. It's such an important thing for people, but thank you very much for, for doing that. Um, and thank you so much for your time. I mean, I know we kind of went over and um, I really appreciate, you know, you coming on the show and sharing all this game, you know, like uh, spreading the, the knowledge. Um, so we really, really appreciate you. Um, uh, if there's anything that, any last words that you'd like to to let our, our audience know about? Um, I would say to all my creators out there, create your own leverage. I've been coming across this in a few different panels and conversations about how to tap into DSPs, how to get this person's attention. And I, I think that it's really just about your content. Of course, there's strategy and marketing behind it, but to all of my content creators out there, like create your own leverage, create your own opportunities that you can pull people in, create opportunities that are bigger than you, you know, to grow your network. Like don't rely on other people who have already made it or who are super established to reach back down and grab you. You have to create your own buzz and momentum. I think the biggest thing I can say is that I'll give one example. If you're a DJ who's out there who has a lot of reworks and flips, like create a, a, a rework lab, you know, create, create some kind of content series, use Twitch, like create series and create new IP, create new, create new entities and create new forms of, of content and sharing that will eventually lead back to growing your own career. But it has to be bigger than you. You have, and, and go for it. Like be innovative. Don't do anything that isn't a hell yes. Like don't do anything that's just a regular yes. Mm. It needs to be like, how is this pushing the needle? I think eight years in the game now, I take a step back in my life and career and I really, really am looking for things that are innovative to do. I'm looking for ideas that are crazy. I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm craving things that are really, ha that haven't been done before or done in a certain way. And I think if you, if you want more attention, if you want more people consuming your content, you have to do things that are just more out there, more innovative. Like you have to think beyond 
yourself and think beyond your network. You know, like work, 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 work across your network, collaborate more, collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. <laughs> like, mm. but all of these things help you as a creator to create your own leverage, build your own demand. You don't have to wait for it to be built though. You can take control of it and start building things in your community that eventually spread and have more meaning than just you as the individual creator, which all empowers you as the creator. So yeah, That's just so helpful. Do, do dope shit, do dope shit, do cool shit, do shit that hasn't been done before figure it out and just figure out how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think what I'm, I'm really getting from that specifically is that, um, you know, yeah, take, take advantage of things and there's no like rule book as, as you, you know, you can't read a book on the music industry anymore because it's no, changing too no fast. Rules no rules, Matt. There's no rules to this. There, I, I kid you not. I, I came in this industry and did whatever the fuck I wanted to literally because <laughs> there was, I realized early on there was no rules. I didn't have, I had zero contacts. I had zero network. I didn't have like an uncle who played for Prince, you know, back in the fucking eighties. Like I just didn't have that. <laughs> like, you know, I, I had to, you know, hustle and, 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 you know, grind my way into the music industry and business. And I think for all the content creators out there who are in the music business, there's a lot of money on the table, a lot of opportunity on the table to do. And that's because there's a lot of things out there that have not been done. And we're just waiting on y'all to do them. So <laughs> get creative. Awesome. Yeah. Matt, thank you for having me, though. I love Serato, very, a brand I've valued and have loved for a very, very long time. As a music lover on the outside, watching everyone use these Serato vinyls, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> All the way to now knowing kind of more of the infrastructure of the brand. I'm very proud of what you guys have been doing. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to hear that. And uh, it's definitely good to know that um, that it, we're, we're doing the right things and we're definitely trying. So uh Again, thank you yeah. so much for sharing your knowledge and, and the incredible advice. Um, we're going to leave it at that. But uh, this in, this inter whole interview will be up um, for VOD, so we can always come back and watch it. And then we're also, once it's finished there, we'll put it up on um, YouTube. So feel, feel free to revisit or let people know. But um, Evangeline, have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your week. And... Um, Keep on rocking in the free world, I guess. I was going to say, I'm going to finish it if you did it. I'm glad you did. Awesome. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, man. Bye, y'all. Peace. Bye.